You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. It is Friday, August 28th, and here's your quarantine tip of the day. If you wish you could take a summer vacation, but you can't because of corona, well, here's what you need to do. Order something from Grubhub, but in the delivery instructions, ask that when they drop it off, they have to say, room service, bam! You're at Best Western, baby. Anyway, on tonight's episode, President Trump's disappointing RNC speech, Dulce Sloan digs into politicians' backgrounds, and we chat with the big dogs of the NBA to find out what happens now. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, the Daily Social Distancing Show presents the Republican National Convention, celebrating February's record economy. So last night was the final night of the Republican National Convention, also known as the place where Facebook comments come to life. And this was the night that everyone was waiting for, the acceptance speech of Donald Just the Tip Trump. But before the speech even started, we got this incredible moment between Trump's first lady and Melania. Oh my God, did you guys see that? Play it again. God damn! As soon as Ivanka walked by, Melania's smile disappeared faster than all the blackface episodes of all your favorite sitcoms. And it's moments like these that just add more fuel to the rumors that Melania does not like Ivanka. And look, I don't blame her. I mean, after all, Ivanka's the one who's in charge of tackling Melania when she makes a run for it. No wonder they got bad blood. But once the traditional exchange of fake smiles was complete, President Trump, descended the majestic stairs of the White House, walked up to the podium, and then delivered the longest, most boring, low-energy Jeb Bush-ass speech of his entire life. Damn, that shit was boring. And I would be so pissed off if I was one of the people in the audience. Because if I'm sitting in a crowd, risking catching coronavirus to watch a Trump speech, goddammit, I want a Trump speech. I want to hear his plans for locking Hillary up while chugging hydroxychloroquine. I want him to accuse Nancy Pelosi of creeping into your houses at night, turning up your air conditioning, and stealing your blankets. I want to see him hold up a big case of 10-year-old Trump steaks, say that they're the real cure for corona, and then start throwing them into the crowd, paper towel style. But this speech, man, This speech was like going to a NASCAR race and watching the cars parallel park for three hours. Where's the crash? Honestly, it was really weird. Because say what you want about Trump. The one thing we all know about the man is that he can give exciting speeches that hold people's attention. So why now? With one of the most important speeches he will ever have to give, did Trump resort to reading the Wikipedia entry for history of the 19th century? Our American ancestors sailed across the perilous ocean to build. These pioneers didn't have money. Climbed into their covered wagons and set out west for the next adventure. Davy Crockett and Buffalo Bill. Cowboys and sheriffs. They pressed on past the Mississippi. Built the great ships. Raised up the skyscrapers. From Normandy to Iwo Jima. And we did it all with style and confidence We and built flair. a six million pound rocket and launched it thousands of miles into space. Together we are unstoppable. Together we are unbeatable. 
Huh? What? No, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. People, what the hell was that? Like, I don't know what was worse. The perilous journey that those pioneers faced trekking across the country or having to sit through Trump telling us about it. I mean, the last people that told stories that boring were the actual pioneers. And that's because the only other things they could do were chop wood or die. It's like Trump turned Oregon Trail into an audiobook. And by the time the speech was over, I bet half the people in the audience died of dysentery. So now we know President Trump is a terrible president, but we also know that he'd be an even worse substitute history teacher. Sometimes you gotta know when to just play the Space Jam DVD, man. Give up. But still, if anyone managed to stay awake during Trump's 70-minute Ben Carson impersonation, they might have picked up on one major theme. You see, for months, Trump has been saying that sleepy Joe Biden is too weak to run America. But he's also been saying that Joe Biden is a radical socialist who's gonna destroy America. But how can both of those be true? Well, now he's figured it out. Sleepy Joe Biden is so weak that other radical socialists will destroy America for him. Joe Biden is weak. He takes his marching orders from liberal hypocrites who drive their cities into the ground while fleeing far from the scene of the wreckage. Make no mistake, if you give power to Joe Biden, the radical left will defund police departments all across America. If Joe Biden doesn't have the strength to stand up to wild-eyed Marxists like Bernie Sanders and his fellow radicals, and there are many, there are many, many, we see them all the time, it's incredible actually, then how is he ever going to stand up for you? He's not. Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism. Ooh, the Trojan horse of socialism. Sounds terrifying. Seriously though, it's starting to feel like be scared of the socialists is becoming the Republicans' only move, which honestly is just getting old. You know, it's like the GOP is that one friend of yours in Street Fighter who just did the chopping thing the entire time. <laughs> You're not playing the game, Justin. <laughs> but in a way, the biggest message that Trump sent last night wasn't in anything that he said at all. No, it was in the setting of the speech. And that message was, coronavirus ain't shit. The South Lawn of the White House converted into a packed convention floor. Nearly 2,000 supporters, no social distancing, and very few masks. You're seeing people shake hands, hug, greet each other like it would be in normal times. It's almost as if he is trolling people who are concerned about testing and masks and the coronavirus. What happened last night was dangerous. It was in violation of the president's administration's own health guidelines. Most people were not tested. This was something that indeed could become a super spreader event. Yes, even in a pandemic, Trump needed to have a packed crowd. I mean, look at that. The only empty seat is Herman Cain's. And it wasn't just a packed crowd. Practically nobody wore a mask and practically nobody was tested. Trump basically decided his speech was gonna kill one way or another. In fact, the only guest required to wear a face mask was Stephen Miller, and that wasn't coronavirus related. I guess the one silver lining is that Trump's speech was so boring that there was no risk that anybody would spread droplets by cheering. But in many ways, this is Trump's coronavirus response in a nutshell. His top priority isn't health or safety. His top priority 
is making Donald Trump look good. Nearly 4,000 Americans died during the four nights of the RNC. But Trump won't let that get in the way of a good TV backdrop. In fact, when asked about the lack of precautions at the speech, a White House official said, quote, everybody is going to catch this thing eventually. And if that's the attitude of the White House, then I'm disappointed. Because the Trump I know doesn't quit. When he had an affair with Stormy Daniels, he didn't just go, well, everybody's gonna know about this eventually. No, he paid her off. He signed NDAs. He did everything he could to make her go away. In fact, maybe we should get Trump to ban COVID-19. Then we know he'll shut it down. So look, I don't think Trump won a lot of voters with that one speech, but the real question is, did he change anyone's mind about him over the course of the week? Because he was really trying hard. In fact, if you compare the Donald Trump of the RNC with the Donald Trump of reality, you would hardly know that they're the same guy. President Trump is a kind and decent man. He truly cares about people. My dad believes in the potential of each individual. Go home to mommy. Tell her to tuck you in bed. They're scum, they're human scum. Uh, I don't know what I said, uh, I don't remember. I personally observed his ability to listen and understand the issues. We have a situation where we're looking very strongly at sinks and showers and other elements of bathrooms. People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. Presidential leadership came swiftly and effectively with an extraordinary rescue for health and safety to successfully fight the COVID virus. Today, the death toll in this country from COVID-19 passes 180,000. Donald Trump is the first president uh, in my lifetime to actually stand up to China. Unlike Biden, I will hold them fully accountable for the tragedy that they caused. Well, I think China is very, you know, professionally run in the sense that they have everything under control. I really believe they are going to have it under control. The goal of cancel culture is to make decent Americans live in fear of being fired, expelled, shamed, humiliated, and driven from society as we know it. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag? to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! I don't know, guys. I think he's finally becoming presidential. All right, when we come back, Dulce Sloan is gonna take us behind the scenes at the conventions. And then, Doc Rivers and Steve Ballmer join me on the show to talk about everything happening in the NBA. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with LA Clippers head coach, Doc Rivers, and LA Clippers chairman, Steve Ballmer. We talked about the NBA taking a stand this week against police violence and systemic racism. Check it out. All you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear, we're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, We're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, We've been hung, we've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's, it's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. Doc Rivers, Steve Ballmer, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. 
Thanks. Yeah. I wish I, I was having you guys on to talk about, you know, how exciting the playoffs have, have been. I wish I was having you on to talk about how amazing Lou Williams has been as a sixth man, probably one of my favorite players right now in the playoffs. I wish I was having you on the show to just talk about the joy of sports. But unfortunately, uh, we're here because I wanted to talk to you about the NBA strike and the reason for the NBA strike. Now, I'm sure everybody knows about this, but for those who don't know, the NBA players went on strike and the games were postponed uh, after what happened in Kenosha. And it, it was really inspiring and also sad to see, you know, the players standing up and saying, we can't do this anymore. And Doc, we played a few of your comments, so I'll start with you. What do you think has made this moment in time so different? Why do you think these protests have really changed not just sports, but our everyday lives? Because these protests, the games stopped. You know, the games have always gone on through all these different things that have happened. George Floyd's murders, the game uh, murdered, the game kept going, right? In this case, the game stopped. Uh, the players literally need to take a breath. And like I said earlier, it's not lost on me that George Floyd was never afforded to take that breath, but our players did. And doing that, they were able to refocus and come up with tangible things that they want to do. You know, it's so many people that protest, but this time we came out with tangible items that, that the NBA, the owners and the players wanted to do. And so that's what makes this so different. Do you find as someone who, who works so closely with the players, that a lot of the players might struggle even more to deal with what's happening because now it's almost an outside world. They're in a bubble. They're seeing this happening. They're away from their families. They're away from their communities. Do you think that also added to them saying, hey, we're not in the mood to go dunk a basketball right now. We have to focus on what's happening in America. Yeah, because usually when something like this happens, you're with your families. You can comfort your kids. Uh, you can try to explain to them what's going on uh, in America or in that city. They were not able to do that. And, and in some ways being in this bubble, a lot of work, but the players don't feel it. They don't see it. They don't know exactly what's going on. So I think in that way, you're exactly right. Steve, I know as an owner, you know, you've been one of the most vocal uh, supporters of, you know, police reform. You, you, you've been out there with the NBA saying, guys, something needs to be done. It is strange, you have to admit though, that you are the owner of an NBA team and people are expecting you and, and the league to fix something that should be dealt with by the government. Is, is that ever a strange situation? Do you feel like it's an unnecessary burden to have? I, I think about it a little bit different. I, I don't know how to speak to the whole league, but I do know we have players, people like me who are citizens and getting out there, using our voices, supporting. I mean, that's, that's the American way. You get out and you have uh, people proposing bills like the Justice and Policing Act, uh, the George Floyd bill. Great, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Let's make sure that the House and the Senate come together. I'm just a citizen on this one. I have something of a voice. Our players even have a louder voice. Uh, and, you know, that, that happens. That's not about basketball. That's about democracy. You, you, you've been instrumental in pushing the players, though, and, and giving them a platform to speak. What are some of the things you've learned from the players in these conversations that maybe you weren't fully aware of before they started? Well, certainly I've had an opportunity to hear from our players. Uh, Doc and I did a great uh, meeting with the team, a couple of meetings with the team, 
about the kinds of things that are, are on people's minds. I don't have the lived experience of growing up black in the United States. Mm -hmm. The whole fear of police stops and what those mean and where they go and the importance of, of really um, being able to have higher levels of accountability so that that, that is a system that, and an approach that works fairly for all Americans. I get that out of our discussion. When we talk with the guys, what, what really helped shape their lives? It's these mentorship programs and teachers and, and maybe not shocked, but really made vivid to me by the conversations we've had. Doc Rivers, some of the fans of the NBA may say, why can't the guys just play the game and leave politics out of it? They may be big fans of yours and the Clippers. How would you respond to those fans? Well, first of all, we are playing the games. You know, we stop, but we are going to play and we're going to do our job. And, and so we're doing that. But more importantly, uh, and I think I got this from you, you know, politics are part of our lives, uh, our daily lives. And so if you don't get involved with it, it's going to get involved with you. Uh, also, some of these are politics. Some of these are human rights issues. Uh, you know, I think we think human rights issues are politics and it's not. It's what's right and what's wrong. And we should all speak up. And our players have decided, like, it's not our burden to do everything, right? But it's, it's our responsibility to get involved uh, because we want to. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I love that our guys are doing it. And I think they're doing it in a sensational way. What is, the, what is the league doing right now? Because it was really interesting and nail-biting to watch it all unfold. You know, we, we, we heard that there, there was possibly going to be a strike. Then there was a strike. Then the question was, was the season going to be canceled? And then we heard that the NBA was taking some concrete steps. What are some of those steps, Doc, and how did the league get to these decisions? It was beautiful, uh, Trevor. Uh, the players got together, uh, had a long talk over a lot of issues, and... And they came to the owners, and the owners are the partners. You know, and one of the things I want to clear up, the word boycott, well, we were, we were not boycotting the NBA, uh, or the players were not. Uh, it was more a protest about what was going on because you, you don't boycott your partners, you know, your friends. And so that's what made this so neat is because the owners and the players got together and they formed a partnership in what they want to do. They for, we're forming a coalition, a justice coalition, where we're going to talk about voting, uh, individual rights. Uh, you know, I love the fact that we're going to get arenas involved, uh, registration, voter suppression, all these things. We're also going to form a group uh, with this coalition to fight just single things. You know, the George Floyd bill, uh, it's on the House. It just passed right. through the House. It's sitting on the Senate floor. And you and I know it will probably sit there for a while, but that's where voting comes back in. So uh, I just think what the, the players did and the owners did, they pledged that they're going to support each other and create this coalition. It's just fantastic. Steve, before I let you go, I know things are manic right now. I wanted to find out what you hope the NBA as a whole can achieve from this moment and what you would hope the government would do in playing their parts. You think it's hard to get a meeting if you have one of the leading NBA players and one of our, our owners want to talk to a governor or mayor or, or a congressperson who, or whomever. And, you know, now's the time. A lot of things are going to have to happen that don't happen right now on a bipartisan basis. Mm -hmm. And if you put the players and the equity holders in our teams, the owners, if you will, if you put us together, the ability to, to let me say, 
put pressure on both D's and R's to come together to work out solutions that really matter, I think that's an extra advantage we have uh, as, a, as a group. And that's why I love our Justice Coalition. It's a chance to get you know, a variety of people with different viewpoints, players and, and owners and coaches on the same page, and then give the messages to, to our legislators, to our police chiefs, to our prosecutors. Man, are there a lot of elections that matter in this area of uh, racial justice. As a fan of the NBA, I'm excited to see what you're doing. Um, I hope that, you know, a lot of it gains traction and um, hopefully we'll get to enjoy the playoffs and uh, won't have to worry about these conversations because some of them will have been fixed. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, good luck for the rest of the playoffs and uh, we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. When we come back, I'll talk to the multi-talented Kiki Palmer. So stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with actor, singer, and activist Kiki Palmer. We talked about her new EP, how she's prepping to host the MTV Video Music Awards this weekend, and so much more. Kiki Palmer, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Hey, how are you? It's good to see you, man. Hey, I'm living, you know, living as, as best as I can during, during these times. And uh, before we get into the, the, the heftier side of, you know, what's happening in life, I wanted to start off with congratulating you. It's not often that you have moments of joy during coronavirus, everything is going through their ups and their downs, but I wanted to say congratulations. You're gonna be hosting the MTV VMAs. Yes, I am. I'm very excited about it. Um, and, and yes to literally everything that you said. Um, I'm excited and hopefully to give people opportunity to get some entertainment uh, and good spirits during all of this kind of craziness, as you mentioned. I have a serious question for you about your, the trajectory of your career. What do you think is more impactful in your life? Doing, you know, major things like being in movies and in TV shows and hosting your own, um, uh, you know, hosting award shows, etc., or being turned into a meme? Because you are one of the most famous memes on the internet. I mean, everyone sends it to me. Everyone just uses it for everything. They're like, well, you're just like, I don't know this man. I don't know anything about this man. I don't know who this man is. Like, that, that must be your greatest achievement, right? I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. And it shows how, how much we're here, Trevor, because literally, I think the coolest thing in, in life is becoming a meme, point blank, period. Because you're part of pop culture. Like, you, you're part of how people like say, it's like being Shakespeare, but of 2020. You know what I mean? People use you to finish their sentences in a message. Has anyone sent that to you to finish, like, like has anyone sent you as a meme to you to argue with you? That's what I want to know. Yeah, people have sent me the memes. They've done the gag is, they've done sorry to this man. I've seen them all, and it's so crazy. I don't use my own memes because I think that's a little like, meh. But it's funny when other people use them. It's crazy. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, about the awards. It's gonna be socially distanced, which means it's gonna be different. Can you give us any sneak peeks about what's gonna be happening? Who's gonna be performing? Cause it's gonna be an MTV VMAs like we've never seen before. Yes, well, we got a lot of great performers. We got BTS performing, first K-pop group to ever be performing at the VMAs. I'm very wow. excited about that. K-pop is amazing. Um, as well as um, CNCO, we've got Doja Cats. Very excited to see her perform. We've got DaBaby and a bunch of other great uh, people performing. It has some surprises in there. And um, to your point, yeah, it's definitely going to be different this time, but we're still finding ways to make sure that the audience is still a part of the show in the same way that oh, we... Nice you know, expect with the VMA. So, you know, I'm really excited. We have this one, um, this one drive-in setup. That's all I'll say that is really, really cool. But we still want to make sure we keep everything safe. 
BTS is an interesting segue for us to use to get into the next part of the conversation because K-pop fans have been lauded as some of the most woke fans during these times. You know, they've been pushing Black Lives Matter. They've been changing hashtags online to get younger people involved in the struggle of what people are fighting for right now, which is equality and justice. And you seem like the perfect person in that moment to be with BTS and in the K-pop world and in the world of equality and justice because one of the videos that was, that went around on the internet was a video of you at a protest and it wasn't you making the video of yourself, it was just you at a protest where you were, you were saying some really heartfelt things to the officers who, who were tasked with keeping, uh, you, you know, peace and law and order, etc. I would love to know like what was going through your mind when you were speaking to them? Like, did you did you hope to get through to them? Was it you venting like what you were feeling in that moment? I wanted some answers. I think at that moment I had been having so much festering at that moment that I felt when I saw them there, um, you know, their priority was to keep the building safe. And I just kind of thought to myself, you know, well, how great would it be if, if we all were together? You know, because the reality is, is the buildings, they can be rebuilt, but it's the people and the lives that we're losing to, you know, senselessly that can't be. So I just want in that moment, like at the end of the day, we're, we're all fighting on the same team. Even when I think about all the things that, that do happen within the military and in the injustices that we're fighting against there as well. I just felt like let's come together, you know, in this moment, I wasn't thinking about anything other than really just reaching him as a, as a human being, because I right. was so overwhelmed uh, with emotion from what was going on and what is going on. You've always been somebody who's been outspoken. It doesn't matter what the issue is, you know, whether it's how the industry should change, whether it's how society needs to improve, whether it's about your experience as a, bla as a black woman. I, th I think I've always admired how honest you are in sharing your experiences and, and how much humanity you put out. I never feel like it's a talking point. I never feel like Kiki's reading from a script in, in, in delivering her feelings and emotions. Why has it been so important for you to do that? I really think that just happens to be how I, how I was raised and has really nothing to do with the entertainment aspect. I think that allows me to be a little bit more quote unquote popular and for the things I do and say to be more seen. Mm -hmm. It is just the kind of household I grew up in. My dad is very that way. My dad always talked about Ruby D, Muhammad Ali. Um, he talked about Ozzy Davis. He talked about Martin Luther King. He, you know, we would go on tours together, my dad and I, with Bernice um, when I was a kid. And so I think just kind of trying to be aware and also carrying the understanding of what it means to be a black American American and just our uh, history in this country in particular, um, there's just been a little bit of that responsibility that I felt at home that I think just happened to travel its way through my, through my work. And I happen to be a passionate person as well, and that's how I express it. I think one of my favorite things about you, though, is you express the complexity of being black in many, in a way that m few people truly understand. Being black comes with a lot of pain, but being black has also created from that pain a lot of joy. You know, being black is able to tell jokes, being able to sing, being able to dance whilst also fighting against systems of oppression. That's what being black is. And I feel like Kiki Palmer represents that. I mean, like, while you're out there fighting, while you're out there protesting, you're also still creating. You know, you're making TV shows, and I believe you got an EP that's coming out as well, which seems like a lot of fun. Like, it's, 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 it's not, yeah. it's not, some of the songs are, like, one of them is about getting thicker during coronavirus, yes? So, you know, Virgo, Tennessee, it literally, the like, I had some of the songs before, and then many of them were created during quarantine, and it yes. really was my escape. Um, to your point, like, when you talk about the paradox of being Black and what that experience can be, I found so much solace in my creativity. And I really love to encourage others that, look, 
look, see what's going on and see what's going around, but don't let it break you and don't let it push you down. Use it uh, the same way those before us did and, and let your resilience sing through and showcase your heart to the world. And that's what I try to do, uh, you know, within my work. So it, it's crazy that you say that like that. <laughs> tell me tell me about the song, though. I want to know how, how you decided, because I've, I've heard many songs about people enjoying their bodies. I, I've heard many songs about people being thick or people being like, you know, I'm thick like this, I'm thick like... I, I can safely say this is the first song I've heard about someone experiencing the thickness derived from coronavirus specifically and being indoors and stuck and just eating and living the good life on the couch, essentially. Because that's the attitude that I was experiencing at that time is like, you know, and I wanted to embrace it and I wanted to put myself in this space that allowed me to kind of still access a feeling of freedom, even though we were being so caged in. And so I didn't want to let myself get to the negative bag of the fact that, oh my gosh, I'm getting my weight. I'm spending more time on the couch, but you know what? I'm getting thick and you know what? I'm living it, I'm loving it, I'm vibing it. I'm not gonna let this uh, scenario steal my joy. I'm, I'm still gonna love myself and vibe out. And that's literally the energy of the whole project because I felt that's what I needed during, uh, especially the beginning half of COVID. And um, I just wanted to give that to my fans and just like, you know, try to turn up and try to just escape for a minute. And some laughs on it too. It's music and I, and I got some skits and stuff. Yeah, it's got music, it's got skits, and you say it's for your fans, but I think everyone who listens to it will become a fan because we've all become thicker during this period. And so I feel like that should become the new anthem <laughs> for the summer is, is the coronavirus thickness that Kiki Palmer has given us. Kiki, thank you so much for joining us on the show and good luck at the MTV VMA Awards. We're all gonna be watching. Thank you, Trevor, you are the best. Bye. Thank you so much, Kiki. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, I wanted to remind you that there are less than three months until the election and America is facing a nationwide poll worker shortage. Now, because most poll workers are over 60 and coronavirus is still out there, they are understandably not showing up. But remember, fewer poll workers means fewer polling stations are gonna be open, which means the lines are gonna be longer and not everybody can afford to stay and wait in long lines. The good news is though, most poll working is paid. And in some states, you can be as young as 16 to do it. So if you're interested and you have the time, this is your chance to save your grandpa protect democracy, and get paid while doing it. Until next time, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, smile like everybody's watching. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.